Welcome to the Deals Talking M&A podcast, sponsored by Baker McKenzie. I'm your host, Sarani Fernando. In today's episode, we're focusing on how dealmakers are navigating antitrust complexities. In recent years, dealmakers have been faced with increasing pressures and scrutiny from anti-competition authorities, with many big-ticket deals getting stifled post-deal signing. While this topic has been heating up around the globe, in July this year, the Biden administration proposed new merger guidelines that aim to protect competition, and this has industry pundits concerned about its impact on future dealmaking. But this is just one of many measures regulators around the globe are taking to address concentrated market trends across the broader macroeconomy. To talk more about this complex and nuanced part of the M&A process are two Baker McKenzie partners. First up, we have Duffy Lorenz, chair of the Chicago Transactional Practice Group. She advises clients on complex cross-border transactions and international business matters. Also joining us is Creighton Macy, chair of Baker McKenzie's North America Antitrust and Competition Practice Group. Creighton is recognized as a leading global antitrust practitioner. Duffy, Creighton, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you, Sarani. We're incredibly excited to be here. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. So just to get us started, it seems competition issues are becoming an increasingly complex and important part of the deal process. Can each of you perhaps share your general experience over the last decade or so and some general themes and trends you've been noticing that's been changing your practice with clients? Sure. Thanks, Sarani. From a deal-making perspective, of course, increasing complexity and uncertainty, whether it's from regulatory reasons or otherwise, has a material practical impact on speed, cost, and deal certainty. And so we see that between that and just the general macroeconomic conditions, there's quite a lot of headwinds in the M&A space right now. We see that it's really just essential to start planning your competition strategy at a much earlier stage in the deal and that a lot of times, especially for larger uh, deals with likely issues, this is really the threshold issue that clients have to discuss with their advisors really at the beginning of, the, of any transaction process or even thinking about a transaction. Great point, Duffy, and many thanks for the question, Sarani. So the bottom line is that's absolutely right. We are in a heightened, a very vigorous antitrust enforcement environment right now. I could list off many trends that we're seeing today. One, we've got the draft merger guidelines. Two, we've got proposed changes to the HSR form. Three, we've got the litigated merger cases, many of which DOJ and FTC have not won. Four, we've got the lack of, call it, remedy acceptance, lack of consent decrees for the most part. Five, we've got going to court where the DOJ and FTC are needing to litigate a pre-planned remedy or fix. When I think of these, I really think of what is practical, and that is from being prepared, working with Duffy, working with our corporate colleagues, working with our clients to be able to provide a clear or as clear as possible risk assessment in terms of timing, in terms of overall substance of the transaction, given this heightened environment. And that's why I'm really glad to be here and talking with you both. Thanks, Creighton. In the summer, we saw proposed merger guidelines by the DOJ and FTC, which has been generating some buzz on its potential impact on future deals. How would you say advisors are approaching the finalization of these guidelines? Do they look like they could have significant impact or cause a lot of headwinds for companies embarking on M&A deals? Yeah, thank you, Sarani. It's a great question. Advisors are very focused on these and reviewing them and looking at them 
in depth. They have not been implemented yet. There are comments that have been uh, sent, many, many comments to the DOJ and the FTC about the draft guidelines. And I think it's also important to consider the practical implications of them. And I look at them as a data point, right? We've got all kinds of data points out there. We've got the current cases. We've got cases we work on, cases we observe. We've got uh, cases that are being challenged or going to trial, cases that are settling. Uh, We've got the whole enforcement environment. And now we have these draft guidelines. Important to remember that, of course, there is vertical guidelines in 2019, there was a horizontal guidelines in 2010, and of course, there's been many, many different guidelines over the course of the years with respect to mergers. Now, these guidelines are what the agencies say, this is how we see the world as we evaluate transactions to make a decision on them. So they are very important from that perspective. I tend to think of them as they're, of course, the theoretical arguments you can have regarding the guidelines. But what we're talking about today is how can we practically advise companies? So they are important because whenever these guidelines come out and they make a change, that's something we have to look at. We have to think about, are the presumptions different? Do these guidelines mention remedies? Do they mention something that we're seeing a lot of is litigating the fix? The answer to the last two is no. So what are these guidelines? They're a representation of what the DOJ and the FTC are saying, this is our common practice. So that's another important data point, uh, particularly when the guidelines have changed in terms of how we are evaluating, how we are advising clients to go back to what Duffy and I discussed in the last question uh, in terms of our evaluation and how we're advising folks. I totally agree with Creighton that it's all obviously relevant. And of course, the proposed merger guidelines definitely have an impact on how people are thinking about deals and kind of general appetite for doing deals right now in this market. But I would also say that from just a corporate dealmaker perspective, we were already feeling the impact of increased regulatory scrutiny, not just in the U.S., but also from the CMA and also from the EC in Europe. And so this was already kind of top of mind for everyone out there looking to do a deal. And it does change, of course, how we analyze everything, but it doesn't change the big picture for a lot of folks. What are the next steps for these draft guidelines? And are there other pieces of legislation or policy changes that you're also watching? And how are you just generally preemptively advising clients on all the changes? The changes to the draft guidelines is something we're focusing on and paying close attention. There are other aspects out there that we're focusing on as well. One is proposed changes to the Hart Scott Rodino HSR form. That could add more burden. It could add more cost. It could add, of course, more time to make you filing, which has real implications not only for cost, but from the timing perspective as well. Much fewer examples of taking consent decrees and accepting remedies. We've also been seeing merger challenges. For the most part, the DOJ and FTC have lost. But in some of those challenges where relevant, we've seen a approach called the fix-it-first approach. So the parties are going in to trial telling the court that we have fixed this problem and forcing the DOJ and FTC to combat that with respect to their challenge. So we're taking all of these data points so then we can go back to Duffy and say, Duffy, this is the risk profile we see given all of these different factors out there. And this is how we're going to navigate this process and work with the client to find a way. Now, that just doesn't mean 
with respect to substantive transactions that might have a competition problem. It also means transactions that are not. But when Duffy is asking, Creighton, what's the timing going to be here? How many filings do we have? How fast can we get done? Those implications are something that we're thinking about very closely as well. Thanks, Creighton. Yeah, on the fix it first point, I think that's really important because that's adding a lot of complexity to a lot of deals right now. Well, it's simplifying on one end, right, in that it's helping the antitrust position. But from a deal perspective, it actually is very difficult to run multiple deal processes at once, especially for a lot of these companies who actually, you know, have other products to sell or day jobs uh, to do in addition to doing M&A. For implementing a fix it first, what we're saying when we talk about that is that we're going to actually implement a carve out of a potentially problematic business before we sign the bigger deal. And that can get particularly complicated, especially where there's a lot of jurisdictions involved or especially where it's a regulated industry where we may need to, for example, in the pharma industry, work on licensing and work on the regulatory factors for the carve out before we can even think about finalizing the other deal. One of the difficulties with that in particular is that if you have a large confidential deal pending and you're looking at implementing a fix it first type transaction, carve out divestiture or something of that nature, it means also bringing a lot of people under the tent a lot earlier than you would normally do for um, the bigger deal. So making sure that you have everyone in line to think about those corporate employment and regulatory matters and think about how that's going to ripple through all of the other jurisdictions so that you can make the timing work with the bigger deal that might have a competition or antitrust problem. So it takes you from doing one big complex deal to doing potentially multiple at once with multiple buyers, which of course um, can really be distracting, especially for a lot of people outside of the M&A function. And then one other thing I wanted to mention as well, outside of antitrust and competition, those are not the only regulatory impacts that we're seeing. Another big category of regulatory issues that we're seeing come up is um, foreign investment regulation and legislation across a lot of different jurisdictions. So we're seeing national security concerns driving political agendas in a lot of countries and people passing laws where local authorities have a say over whether or not the deal should go through and whether or not the, a particular buyer can buy certain assets. This used to be traditionally an issue for your standard you know, defense industry deals, but people have broadened the definition of what industries deserve to be regulated and what should be regulated to expand into things like life sciences and key technologies that don't even have a dual or military use. So those timelines can also be something to work with as we're dealing with all of these other complexities as well. Thanks, Duffy. Are either of you finding that any particular sectors are being targeted by the DOJ and FTC or regulators in general? Many say the push for the new guidelines is mainly to better regulate the tech industry, maybe pharma as well. Do you have any general thoughts on that? From a substantive perspective as to what sectors are being targeted, I, I leave it to my friend Creighton to discuss that. But I would say that one trend that we're seeing is just around private equity. I think as a simplifying convention, private equity bidders used to be considered sort of safe from an antitrust perspective. And that was one of the real advantages that private equity bidders had in a competitive process, especially with respect to add-on and roll-up type transactions. We're really needing to um, 
look at that, but also look at it for platform acquisitions. Whether this was perceived or real, they really are not getting a free pass anymore. And that's definitely affecting their ability to compete in some of these auctions, especially for really hot assets. So we're, of course, seeing scrutiny of what Daphne noted, PE, pharma, tech. But the one thing I wanted to note as well is we're seeing a whole of government approach. And that's why when we're speaking with clients, when we're advising clients, it doesn't necessarily matter what industry they're in. We should expect vigorous enforcement. We should look and be prepared because the DOJ and the FTC are looking and trying to be vigorous in terms of their evaluation, in terms of their enforcement of mergers in every sector. Regardless of what sector you're in, whether you're focused on timing, whether you're focused on deal risk, which of course all clients are focused on, we need to, from the very beginning, link up, conduct an evaluation, given how we're seeing the DOJ and the FTC using all of the data points that we've talked about throughout, seeing how they're reviewing transactions and how it applies to this specific merger at hand. And competition is also not just a U.S. issue. How are you seeing the DOJ and FTC approach compare with other international regulatory authorities? Well, I think we're at a watershed moment here. We've got a number of different transactions that have been before the EC, the CMA, the DOJ or the FTC, as well as other competition bodies. Now, it's never more clear that the authorities around the world are working together and are talking together. But candidly, that has been the case for many, many years and something that the DOJ and the FTC and their counterparts around the world have always touted. The second is, though, we're seeing the importance of large global transactions and how reviews can both be similar as well as different. And so this goes back to the point where with respect to what we're seeing, the EC, the CMA, the DOJ or the FTC, as well as many others, right? There are a significant number of competition authorities around the world. We have been asking this question and evaluating this for many years, but in particular today when we're seeing large transactions and we're seeing both similarities, but also divergence between the EC and the CMA, between the EC, CMA, and the U.S. authorities. And it goes into the planning that we've discussed from the very beginning, is that you cannot look at this in a vacuum. You cannot look at this as a one-front review. You have to look at it in terms of where you need to file, where an investigation could come even if you don't need to file, and how can we plan a strategy holistically that takes into account time, that takes into account resources, and provides that clear picture that, again, we've talked about as a theme throughout this conversation. Yeah, I completely agree with Creighton. I would say we have to have a multi-pronged strategy. Um, so like Creighton was saying, not just what happens if all the regulators agree, but also what happens if one goes this way and one goes the other way, right? And that could also have an impact on how you're thinking about potential divestitures or remedies as well. So a lot more uh, trees to be killed, I guess, drafting up memos and advice in terms of how to deal with all of the potential options. Thanks, Duffy. And just my final question to the both of you. How is Baker McKenzie navigating the potential for future antitrust hurdles? And what should dealmakers and companies looking to do M&A deals be thinking about? Yeah, well, I think at the end of the day, complexity is not new, right? And so increased competition and antitrust scrutiny is really just one piece of the puzzle when it comes to all the headwinds we're seeing in the M&A world as a result of the macroeconomic environment, increased national security concerns, 
geopolitical shifts and just kind of everything that's going on in the world today. From the deal lawyer perspective, I think it comes down to preparation and fundamentals. Uh, an hour up front at the beginning of a transaction is worth a hundred, you know, once the deal process has started. So you don't want to be thinking about issues in real time. You want to be preemptively thinking about them and planning for them up front, working with your deal team, working with the, the members of the business and working really closely with Creighton and his team on all the potential regulatory hurdles and the entire picture. And like I said, it's fundamentals, right? A prepared seller is always going to get the best outcome in terms of deal value, in terms of ease of regulatory review, and in terms of deal certainty, which is what everyone wants. I think that's very well said, Duffy. We commonly think about what are the transactions that we read about in the news? Well, what about the transactions that we don't? And what about the transactions that you might not read in the news about because they don't have the substance, the DOJ uh, or the FTC is not going to challenge them in court but that have real complexities. And how does antitrust work with our corporate team and work with our other teams with respect to large deals to do just that and provide clarity on timing, on resources, on what is the path to get these transactions through? Every deal is important. Every deal needs to be executed on. Deals have global implications and working with Duffy and team from the very beginning, working with our phenomenal corporate and antitrust and FDI and other practitioners from the very beginning is key so that we can deliver the best outcome given these complexities. Well, Creighton Duffy, that's all the time we have for today. This has been a really engaging and interesting discussion, and I'm sure super insightful for all of our listeners. Thanks to Baker McKenzie for sponsoring the podcast, and thanks to all the listeners for tuning in. I'm Sarani Fernando, and stay tuned for more great episodes from The Deal. Mm-hmm.